Dancing Days are here again for the JMU women's basketball team. This is the Purple and Bold podcast, another special edition from the Pensacola Bay Center. Hi, up in the rafters of the Pensacola Bay Center in Pensacola, Florida, where they're shifting over from the women's championship game to the men's final coming up here later today. Um, But in the early session, the JMU women with an absolutely dominant performance against second seed of Texas State, the Dukes, the top seed, prove it today and this whole tournament, really. Um, they shared the regular season title with Texas State among also Southern Miss. Uh, they had their low moments, I guess you could say. Never never real low moments, especially compared to the last couple of seasons uh, JMU has had on the women's basketball court. But they... Had some moments where maybe fans <clears throat> and some others uh, could let some doubt creep in with some uh, some losses that were a little bit tough to, I don't want to say fathom, but they didn't play their best against some of the lesser teams in the conference. But they proved, I think, in this tournament that they were the best team in the Sun Belt and then against the number two seed, just absolutely running Texas State off the floor for an 81-51 victory. Kiki Jefferson, 22 points. Peyton McDaniel, 30 points. The two of them combined outscored the second-best team in the conference today. And I think Sean O'Regan said it in his press conference here not too long ago. This was what they had been building for all year. And it just showed. You... Even, even you can go back to the quarterfinals. There was, you know, a point at some point in the, early in the quarterfinal round where it just began to really look like, yeah, this team is destined to win this tournament. Now, did I expect a 30-point victory in the... <clears throat> did I expect a 30-point victory in the um, final round? I did not, but... I really, at some point early in the week, was beginning to feel like, yes, JMU was going to win this tournament. They were going to be the team to do it. And we saw JMU, I don't even want to say at their best today, because you can look at the stats. They had 15 offensive rebounds. They absolutely murdered Texas State on the offensive glass, but only converted that into nine second chance points. They were struggling in the paint a little bit. Um, Ksenia Kozlova just struggled to finish she still ended up with nine points 10 rebounds because she was you know uh the main culprit in that incredible rebounding performance but it i mean you just look at it if they had like had a normal day as far as like converting second chance opportunities this could have been you know a epic historic i mean it's still a historic bloodbath of a final when you look at some of the things uh peyton mcdaniel um became you know, she she's tied for an NCAA record um, with a lot of people, but she became the um, she became I think the 48th player in NCAA history to go seven for seven from three point range uh, and did it on a huge stage. Um, Jim used 12 three pointers were the most in Sun Belt championship history. They just took care of business, and you know it really. The seedlings, the inklings for this were there, 
even early on, one of their first Sun Belt games ever, they're playing Coastal Carolina, a team that ended up beating them down in Myrtle Beach later in the season. But during that game, uh, sitting with Noah Fleischman during that game, and we kind of turned to each other and, like, you know, Coastal's uh, post player was a first team all conference player, and we were kind of looking at each other and was like, if, if that's truly like one of the best players in this conference, she's not a Kiki Jefferson, and I don't see how JMU isn't, you know, capable of really running through this conference. And, you know, c- conferences are tough. The Sun Belt ended up being, I think, a tougher conference than most people. Uh, would have expected on the women's basketball side. Uh, certainly true on the men's basketball side, which we'll get to in a minute. But, um, you know, on the women's side, you're going to lose some games. And, it, you know, it was interesting that Jamie ended up losing some games to some of the lesser teams in the conference. But they really came to play every time they faced one of the top teams. If you can talk about the top five teams in the league, Jamie went undefeated against them in the regular season and in the postseason now. Um, with this victory that's going to send them to the NCAA tournament. And we'll talk NCAA tournament a little bit more here in a little bit. We'll step back from that, get back to the women in a minute. We'll also cover the men while we're here. They lost yesterday, um, Sunday evening, in the Sun Belt semifinals to a red-hot South Alabama team. Uh, very solid season for the JMU men. Uh, finished with 22 wins. Um, building something disappointing in the regard that, you know, they definitely felt like a team that had the talent and the capabilities to win this conference, even as the men's Sunbelt Conference became much tougher than I think anyone would have expected going into the season. They're going to finish with five teams that are top 100 caliber teams. Um, and uh, you know, Mark Byington said it yesterday. He really believes that JMU is probably one of the top 70 teams in the nation. Um, if you were, were just going to like stack them up and let them play it out, he thinks you know they probably would finish in the top 70. And I mean, I have to believe that if he thinks that about JMU, that he thinks you know a team like South Alabama, a Louisiana, a Marshall, a Southern Miss, that all these teams are probably in the mix there. Troy is also you know a very solid team. That's who JMU beat. In the quarterfinals, with a pretty good performance, they survived that. So the league ended up being tougher than expected, but Jamie did have, like, um, I think superior depth and some really good players. So there's some disappointment that they didn't make the finals, that they didn't have a chance to uh, win that today. But ran into a South Alabama team that's the number eight seed. But you know, talk to Richie Riley, South Alabama coach, yesterday. And asked him about, you know, they played a ridiculously tough non-conference schedule. You know, you look at their overall record where they got 15 losses, but that includes close losses to teams like Alabama, to Oklahoma, to a good Towson team. A not-so-close loss to a Florida Atlantic team, but (coughs) a situation where, uh, you know, they thought they were scheduling a win in that one, and it turns out that uh, Florida Atlantic's one of the best teams in the country. Um, kind of coming out of nowhere there. So that's interesting in that regard for the men's. We can you know, do maybe a full season wrap-up for the men at some point. We'll have to talk about who's lost, who's coming back. We definitely know guys like Vado Morse, Mezzi Offerum, Takal Molson. Um, those are guys that are going to have to replace. Those are key 
components. They're going to hit the transfer portal. Um, but, you know, a guy like Terrence Edwards is playing like an all-conference player. Most of the year will be back. I know Friedel, who has um, a ton of potential, will be back. They may get a Terrell Strickland back from injury. Gives them the kind of point guard they can play along those sides in the backcourt. Be an interesting situation depending on what they do in the transfer portal. May not be as deep next year, but there is talent to come back to build around. Uh, we'll have to find out, you know, a situation like if a Julian Wooden, who's been at JMU for four years, um, if he'll want to stick around and take that COVID year to play five seasons. Those are all questions for Mike Byington coming up in the next few weeks. It seems like JMU season is probably over. They could play in a postseason tournament of some sort. But Byington basically said Jamie's not going to take um, the, you know, pay-to-play type tournaments. They're not going to play in the uh, college invitational, um, any of those types of plays. It's it's NIT or bust for Jamie at this point, and they're probably, probably on the outside looking in for the NIT, I guess depending on, you know, what happens here in the next week or so with some conference tournaments. Uh, maybe, maybe we talk about NCAA bid thieves. You know, maybe there'll be some uh, NIT. Uh, no, I don't know. Bid thieves is the right way, but if the favorites win a lot of the mid-major tournaments, that could help JMU's chances for NIT. If programs, if a program like a North Carolina, with all of its history and tradition, simply doesn't want to play in the NIT, something like that may help JMU's chances. But, you know, Byington believes they're probably, you know, maybe five to seven spots outside of what would be the NIT field. So, and they're not optimistic that they're going to play in the NIT, that their season's going to go on any further. But that's where things stand. With the men, they'll obviously have some more to say about them uh, in the coming weeks. So get a chance to kind of wrap things up with Mark Byington later on when we all get back to Harrisonburg. But we'll get back to the women. The women, the JMU women, the... Absolutely amazing performance. Well, let's talk about Peyton McDaniel first. Seven seven on threes, 30 points. And we knew she was capable of having 30-point games. You know, she's she's done it in the past. Kind of crazy to see her do it in this situation. Also, uh, I mean, if you're a Sunbelt, Sunbelt fan of different teams, she's got three years eligibility left after this. Potentially four, depending on what kind of a uh, waivers they can get for her <coughs> um, as far as you know, medical richard. You know, she will get a medical richard. She can't play four more years because of a potential COVID year medical redshirt. She's, you know, a junior by age, but that was essentially like a freshman season for her. Um, and she does that in the Sunbelt Championship game to take Jamie to the NCAA tournament. Kiki Jefferson. When you look at Kiki Jefferson, and I'm going to write about this later. The one thing separating her from when you start going through some of the all-time greats of an all-time great program like JMU Women's Basketball, which won its 1,200th game this week to become the fourth program in the history of the sport to win 1,200 games. They add to their legacy today, getting back to the NCAA tournament. It's going to be the 13th NCAA Division I tournament for the JMU women and Kiki Jefferson cements herself in the place with you know, you know Tamara Young's Precious Halls uh, 
Kirby Burkholder, so, so many, too many to mention, and I would leave somebody out if I started trying to do the whole list. But you start talking about, you know, who might be the best player in JMU history. I don't know if you necessarily give it to Kiki quite yet, but her name is going to be mentioned now because she's up there in almost uh, Don Evans I didn't even mention before. Yeah, of course, you know, great players taking JMU to the NCAA tournament. She's up there with all of them now, um, statistically and with her accomplishments. She's got the multiple regular season championships now. Now she has a tournament championship. She cut down the net. She's going to the NCAA tournament. And I think the Dukes, depending on the draw, might have an opportunity to do something in this NCAA tournament. We'll get into that in a sec before we get back to Sean O'Regan, the seventh-year head coach who also had everything but on his resume going into today. And he doesn't want to make it about him. He doesn't want to make it about him being compared to Kenny Brooks, his mentor, his former boss. He doesn't want to make any of it about that. But that is where he is right now, is that he's, you know, put himself into that legacy of, you know, the third of the three great coaches that this program has had, the three hugely accomplished with Sheila Mormon and Kenny Brooks. Uh, he's right there now. He's a guy who wins overall well over 70% of his games. 72%, I think, overall. And that's generally playing a tough non-conference schedule against Power 5 opponents, um, big-time opponents, going to play them on the road or at home. He's put up that kind of overall record. In conference play, mostly in the CAA, but now in the Sun Belt, where he's now won a regular season and a tournament title. The man has won almost 80% of his conference games. I mean, we're talking about, you know, 80%. We're talking about, you know, Bill Self type um, performance in a regular season in conference. Not not quite to that level yet, but multiple, multiple regular season conference t- titles in seven years. Now, <clears throat> but being in a mid-major league, you know, they got, frankly, got screwed in 2019 that was a team that probably should have got an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament did not after um, basically his entire team got hurt uh, heading into the conference tournament and they lose as a top seed in the quarterfinals the next year they've got a team that is definitely getting an at-large bid if the tournament happens and the whole world shuts down from COVID right as they're about to take the floor for their conference tournament they, you know, have little doubt they would have rolled through that tournament, similar to how this team did in the Sun Belt tournament. And but even if they hadn't, if they tripped up somewhere, they were still getting an at-large bid. So that was frustrating to him, I believe, more than he would ever admit. That was frustrating to um, have to kind of go through that. Um, maybe have to take the knocks. He says he doesn't pay attention to any of that. I just asked him about that private, <laughs> not privately, but like. You know, that's just the two of us here a little while ago. If he pays any attention to that, to what anything anybody says, he says he doesn't. I, I tend to believe him on that. But, I mean, I think it had to eat at him to some degree to know that he could have had one or two NCAA tournaments under his resume, and he didn't. And the people are always going to say, like, but Kenny Brooks did this, and Kenny Brooks did that. And now that's going to dissipate to some degree. Now he's got one, and people are going to say that he should have three, you know, or he could have two. You know, definitely should have two. 
And that, I think, is going to, you know, I don't want to say carry him, but I think it, you know, kind of just takes a little bit of a weight off his shoulders. He's going to be out grinding as soon as the season's over for the next. It's just the kind of guy he is. He's very extremely competitive. But, you know, I think it's something he can probably use, too, as it's like, hey, look, now this is truly my program with my stamp on it. You can be the next. Like, you know, something he sold Kiki Jefferson on. And he, he gives, you know, Bridget Mitchell, former assistant, a lot of credit with, you know, also doing that in the recruiting process. But something he sold Kiki Jefferson on was this moment where she would be next. She would be the person who everything went through once a Kamaya Smalls was gone and that this would be her moment and she finally gets that he gets that with her you know to see them do that it's kind of you know really seeing the completion of something you kind of had to expect was going to happen at some point when when you have continued excellence in the regular season at some point it's going to break through in the postseason that's just the odds of it happening you know People talked, you know, for so long, a Tony Bennett system at Virginia might not win in the postseason. And, you know, if you're going to win at a 70% and 80% clip in the regular season, eventually that's going to translate into the postseason where you win the three or the six or however many games in a row to win the tournament that's, you know, kind of the standard bearer for your level. I mean, we're not talking about JMU winning six games in the NCAA tournament and getting there yet. But to be for a mid-major program where they are, where making the NCAA tournament and then occasionally advancing in the NCAA tournament is kind of the gold standard. Jamie's back. They're back to that. They're back to potentially having a chance and an opportunity to do that and advance, especially if, let's just say, the bracket breaks their way. Let's talk bracketology now. Going into today's game, you know, JMU was kind of the, you know, penciled in for the ESPN bracketology as a Sun Belt champ because they were, you know, technically the favorite going into this, which they went ahead and proved why. But so ESPN had them in the bracketology, had them up a spot from the previous day from a 14 to a 13 seed, <coughs> which in their projections, which may not hold, but given the geographic nature of the women's tournament where they try to um, try to keep geography in mind for travel purposes and for ticket selling purposes and everything else. Keeping that in mind, they had JMU off to Philadelphia to face the Villanova Wildcats with JMU as a 13 seed. If you've been following this JMU program, following CAA hoops throughout the years, You'll know that Denise Dillon, longtime Drexel coach, went across town to Villanova, took her system, took her everything there. So that would be a, pro, a team, a style, a system, a coach. Sean Regan is quite familiar with who has had some success against her. She brought her Villanova team to Harrisonburg to play Jimmy last year. A similar Villanova team. You know, they've obviously improved. But it's a similar makeup to that team. They came and played a much worse JMU team in Harrisonburg last year. They pulled away late. Won that game by nine, I believe. Something like that. 
but it was a very competitive game. JMU kind of felt like they let one get away. They missed a ton of shots close in. They, you know, didn't play very well, but it was still very competitive against a team that wound up being a pretty solid team and was the, you know, kind of, you know, the foundation for a Villanova team now that's one of the best in the country. Is you know, one of the best in the Big East, a team that's, you know, good enough to we're talking about them as a four seed right now. But I would have to think that you know JMU and Oregon would love that matchup. It's a team I think his players would have some confidence going in. It's a system he knows. It's a coach he knows very well. It would be tons of fun. We Two players we talk so much about. Kiki Jefferson from Lancaster, PA. Peyton McDaniel from you know outside the Lehigh Valley area, PA. I'm sure they'd love to go play in Philly. They've already played a tournament up in Philly this year. They beat a, a pretty good St. Joe's team, and that um, was their first kind of tournament victory in a while. And you maybe we'll end up talking about that again too because they treated that like a tournament. They won. They loved getting the um, trophy there, and that was huge for them. We're talking about this. It may not come to pass at all, but that would be a very interesting very fun matchup for the Dukes if they could get to Philadelphia to take on Villanova in the early rounds. There's certainly other possibilies. You know, a Columbus, Ohio, Ohio, Ohio State's certainly uh, within driving distance. Maryland, um, you know, Jamie's probably played their way up into like a high enough seed they can avoid you know, some of these teams. Virginia Tech's going to be hosting. That's probably off the table at this point as, you know, both teams are trending up. Um, but wherever they go, they should be close enough to have some JMU fans make the trip to, you know, potentially infiltrate a visiting arena a little bit in the NCAA tournament, and it'll be a lot of fun. But we'll have to wait till um, Selection Sunday for that. Um, I think that happens after the men's selection show. So uh, they'll be uh, probably gathering somewhere, maybe the Atlanta King Bank Center. I don't think that's been decided yet to watch that. Um, in, I guess, less than a week because it's now Monday. Um, a lot of the, the rest of the conference tournaments are going to be happening later this week um, for men and women. So they've got some time to prepare, to rest, to relax, to get back to Harrisonburg. I'm going to try to get back to Harrisonburg here over the next couple of days, and we'll have a lot of uh, continuing coverage of Jamie and women's basketball, some wrap-ups of the men's basketball teams, getting into spring sports. Going to be a lot coming from the Daily News record here um, coming up. But for now, I'm going to wrap up another uh, special on-location edition of the Purple and Bold podcast from Pensacola at the Pensacola Bay Center where the JMU Dukes on the women's side of the tournament are the Sun Belt Conference Championships. They're going to the NCAA tournament. Maybe I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to the Purple and Bold podcast.